You're listening to The Razor's Edge. The Razor's Edge is an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor and trader with decades of experience in markets, and me, Daniel Schwarzman, who has been focused on the market as a career for the past decade. We take investing ideas or themes we're interested in and break them down, or we speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. You can also check out our work on Seeking Alpha under our respective names, or reach us on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. Our standard disclaimer and disclosure. The Razor's Edge is a Shortman Studios production. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast or during our introduction to the given episode. On this week's The Razor's Edge, we're talking travel stocks. I'm always a fan of the travel sector and long several names. But Akram mentioned to me recently that he's long again in a couple names, and it's counterintuitive timing given the Delta variant and all that news flow, so we get into that topic. Of course, as part of that, we're going to touch on macro, we're going to hit some crypto stuff, we're going to do some amateur epidemiology, and we're even going to mention some SaaS stocks. But we go pretty focused on booking and Boeing to start this episode, and that's the theme throughout. So I hope you enjoy. For disclosures, Akram is long booking holdings, Boeing, Twitter, and Workday. I am also long booking Aircap, PagerDuty, Twitter, StitchFix, and Dropbox. Recorded this Monday morning, 16th of August. Let's take off. Akram, we, I don't think we've talked about them in a while, but the, a sector you had kind of mentioned a couple weeks ago, and I think probably still on your radar, and that I follow pretty closely, travel stocks. We're recording this, you know, middle of August. Delta is still close to its peak in the U.S., unclear if it's turning the corner or not. It's an interesting time, I think, for the travel stocks. What, what, uh, is there anything that kind of put it back on your radar? Just, just the prices, stock prices going down, or anything else that sort of put it back to the forefront of your mind? Obviously, COVID. <laughs> yeah. All right, so the sector has has been let's call it rough for the last three months. You know, almost all these names, but uh, I've had a tough run. I mean, you had like you know there was that period where we did the uh, the open up open up trade, right? You want to call it from like uh, that was back in the winter, like Jan- February ish, yeah, end of January, beginning of February. Which worked nicely for a couple months, and then uh, this, this I'll call it air pocket. Yeah, would be a way of characterizing it. I mean, look if you look at these names, like the airlines are essentially what flat year to date. A lot of these names are basically roughly flat year to date. Versus, uh, I mean, there's like, I was looking at some of the losses on the, let's call them some growth stock favorites. It's, there's a lot of stuff that's just down, notably, you know, Spotify, 33% year to date. 
fastly 51%, switched at 30%. I mean, it's like a mixed bag in that area. Well, it's sort of what it strikes to me is that it's sort of the inverse of all the SaaS names that we talk about so much in the sense of with them, they had obviously the acceleration, the pull forward, or whatever it was last year. And this so far, a lot of those Zoom hasn't reported yet this quarter. They, a lot of names are left in the first week of September or wherever. But a lot of these companies, yeah, they, the numbers haven't been, there haven't been huge growth slowdowns yet, like in what they've reported. Pinterest, I think some of the, so you know, Pinterest has talked about users, Etsy and Wayfair, maybe those sorts of names, Shopify, their stock is kind of slowed, but they haven't like there's, I think we're sort of at a plateau. And then in theory, we should see a notable slowdown in the year ahead, basically. Whereas with the travel stocks, Obviously, last year was terrible. They sort of were showing green shoots, but they're still, we might have hoped that 2021 was going to be close to normal, but it's not. And so there's still, they're still not quite there and they need another leg to really like another, there's still another jump to normalcy. And I think the excitement over the reopening trade, maybe at the beginning of the year has faded a little as people realize, wow, this is going to take. Like you said, there's an air pocket. There's a little bit more time for them to really get back to serving capacity and being able, you know, and people being comfortable traveling. And there's still tons of restrictions on international travel, which is a major driver, et cetera. Yeah, it's this, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, it's kind of like in between. We were kind of like moving in a direction of, rebalancing kind of the economy closer to what it was like before COVID. And then you kind of hit this pocket, which is from like, a, let's call it a political discourse has been basically quite controversial, right? We had these like outbreaks in uh, low vaccination states where the hospitalization rates, you know, are passing the last phase peak and new cases are above the last day's peak. But at the same time, you've had data out of the UK, which has basically been like our one data source. It's been pretty useful at kind of assessing uh, what you would kind of expect Delta to, to play out in, in the United States. But their vaccination rate, I guess, is what? It's over 70% in the adults in the United Kingdom. Or I think of the whole population. Israel, which had been kind of used as, let's call it, you know, a lab case type of study since they they got the vaccine early on and were doing the trials with Pfizer, has seen a pretty sizable spike last the last week or so. But their vaccination rate turns out is like roughly the same as the United States. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's kind of stuck. Like, they got to 60 really fast, and I don't yeah. think they've moved beyond that. Yeah, so for some reason, it seems like uh, 70, 75%, close to 80 is where you need to be. You need to be over 70, it seems. But I mean, that's neither here nor there. I think what, what, and like 
what's made this kind of interesting from an investor's there doesn't seem to be a, a willingness to change consumer behavior, really. Right? So that's one. There's definitely no tolerance from, a, at least in the United States, for, for lockdowns. So you kind of you have this like new phase of COVID that's, uh, what's the word, uh, pretty aggressive. But like there's no desire to... Uh, to respond to it uh, with anything in the form of an economic lockdown. So, I mean, you're having to, to a degree, you're, you're having these, uh, these kind of like small little fights over whether or not mask mandates make sense. No one's saying, you know, shut down gyms and restaurants and uh, go back to uh, only delivery or anything of the sort, right? So then I just kind of like, I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist and you know, neither are you, <laughs> it's a, the era of the uh, internet expert, but I mean, it, it does appear that, I mean, if you do your kind of your homework here, that you can make a, I don't necessarily know, opportunistic bet. I think that like you can take some comfort in the fact that if there are no lockdowns and, uh, this is kind of forcing the vaccination rates higher. We have seen like a, going back to your point earlier about this, you know, slow down from kind of a work from home dynamic. Yeah. Like Facebook and Amazon have delayed back to office. So what, to January? So you got to kind of have like those headlines, which have, you know, we've had this conversation with Justin where some people have interpreted what's been going on as, as a potential catalyst slash driver for these stocks. And uh, I'm, I've been on the, I've been in the other camp. I don't, I don't necessarily think that you should be buying these names. I, mean, I think in his case, just with, I mean, at last time they've done really well this year, but I, I wouldn't put that in the category of, uh, of a work from home beneficiary, right? Like that thing's up like 33% year to date, Zoom is flat, right? Twilio, you know, a few percent. So names like that. A DocuSign's done really well, but I mean, again, that was kind of like one where I feel relative to the rest, it had been it had been cheaper and has gotten really pricey. And then, yeah, you've got the travel stuff, right? Like, I mean, I'm in this booking and uh, Boeing. Booking just reported a quarter, which I thought was pretty good. So gross bookings, are I think about 88% of what they were pre-COVID. They expect revenue next quarter to essentially kind of be back to almost where they were at pre-COVID. Profitability not there yet at that level, but it's unclear if that gets back to those really high margins that they had, but I mean, in in the vicinity at least. So it's like, yeah, I mean, uh, how does one what do you kind of want to own here? And uh, you had this rally. I think you had this window between, let's call it the beginning of June up until Netflix earnings, the start of the earnings season, where you were kind of fading open up stocks, essentially speaking, you know, airlines, Uber, booking, internet travel sites, et cetera. 
and uh, you know buying uh, the uh, SaaS fintech, and that kind of flipped during earnings season because I mean, we did get earnings season was kind of interesting in the sense that we got like a mix of data, right? You had Amazon kind of miss on on e-commerce. You had UPS give you data about slower e-commerce. You had Fiverr tell you that you know gig, the gig world uh, just took a hit as people went back outside, right? You had Pinterest report data. You had Netflix report data. You had Roku report data. All kind of it were like Netflix had churn. Roku had lower streaming hours. Uh, Pinterest had year-over-year declines in in monthly active users. So you have like kind of all that happening at the same time that uh, the market was, I mean, you could, you could argue a lot of these stocks on the travel side got ahead of themselves uh, without question. I mean, uh, airlines, cruise lines, et cetera, like enterprise value. I mean, a lot of them, you know, were, were above where they were before COVID. Right. And, and like, that's, been more of a function of uh, them essentially raising uh, debt at low rates, stay in operation during COVID, right? We, we averted the whole this whole concept of restructuring slash bankruptcy, etc. With the policy response, and that does to a degree crowd out some equity values. So, like, I mean, it it, it is difficult. I mean, even though, like in Boeing's case, I've been bullish on it. I mean, it is a headwind, right? That's where you kind of like a like a stock like booking, you know, at whatever it is, 12, 13 times EBITDA. In this environment, like you would expect that name to get to get multiple expansion as things normalize, and as we've seen these internet businesses pricing the way they are. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's kind of like this. I mean, I think it's a it's a macro environment. You kind of have to have a view, and I don't think people should just kind of leap into this thing because you can definitely get it wrong. But I mean, I kind of have a feeling, like based on what I've seen, that this is most likely the last last COVID outbreak we deal with. You know, that impacts like let's call it uh, the broader global global environment. Yeah, I mean, that's Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA commissioner or director said that this, this is probably the last big wave in the U.S. It's it's interesting, your point, like there's a lot of data triage to sort of sort through and decide what matters or not, because you have, I'm just reviewing Boeing's call and they're talking about, you know, Q3 is their, always their big quarter because that's the summer travel season. They were 13% off of 2019 on either bookings or uh room they nights bookings called on Boeing's. yeah yeah but yes talking about booking but they were off 13 percent off june 2019 on a i think room nights basis either room nights or gross Correct. bookings yeah gross bookings and now it's 22 percent for july with delta concerns and then tbd they weren't sure about what august september would look like and again the with booking their business is so europe-based and yeah, it was like half, a little bit over fifty percent. U.S. citizens can go to Europe, but I don't think a lot are. There's, there's like such. I think what's attractive about Boeing, or excuse me, about booking, is that they 
they don't have the capacity constraints per se that the airlines do. Like airlines are still running at low capacity. There's it may be helping them with pricing, but it doesn't like there's more variables there was booking is just listing the hotels trying to fill you in you know it's that whole asset light model and in theory you think about where the balance of power in theory demand aggregation is still going to be pretty valuable as people get out there and i guess i guess that's the, the two things to figure out are like how long are we in this uncertain period and then what does the look world look like after the fact and i think the after the fact argument is pretty strong in favor of as good or better than 2019 for most of the travel companies. Like it just seems like, yeah, the transatlantic stuff is stopped and some of the other international people are really traveling a lot. It looks like based on the U S airlines and Ryanair were all pretty bullish on Q3 in the back half of the year until Southwest, I think raised a note of caution around Delta. They were the last to report. So like there's a, it seems like the demand will be there, which we we assumed. And then, yeah, to your point, then you have to kind of have a view on how much of a sort of snapback if Delta gets out of control or if vaccine effectivity is found to be waning or whatever else. And yeah, to me, that regardless of the without trying to be an epidemiologist, it does seem like it's clearer that this shall pass than it would have been. Even last summer when we were still waiting on vaccines, it seems like the outlook, we, you know, not to minimize whatever pain or whatever damage might come in the months to come, but it does seem you look at the India experience where Delta started and it's very much a normalized curve in Spain, where I'm not now, but where I normally am, it's definitely on the back half of the Delta curve. and their vaccination rates have gotten pretty high. And so, you know, deaths have ticked up a bit, but really quite low compared to the last big spike over the winter. So, yeah, I guess that's that you have that you have you have what's your long term outlook for travel? What's your short term outlook and whether that matters for the price of these stocks? And then where have the dynamics shifted in the in the market when like, you look at them today booking is down like almost five percent right like the stock reported uh very very good quarter i mean like as far as kind of getting that that gear in but like you know it was that this is the thing that you had about the quarter that was just recently reported right kind of like it it, it reflected the you know open up dynamics right for all these names so everybody was like on a trailing basis, you know, essentially reporting, you know, through the end of June performance. And those numbers kind of indicated this, I mean, clearly indicated this uh, shift that had gone and kind of gone on and uh, clearly gone on in the global economy, right? More so the, the domestic U.S. dynamics, but to a degree, just generally globally, uh, a shift away from, uh, you know, the uh, the stay-at-home uh, COVID economic uh, setup, if you want, right? And that kind of that that reporting season has gone in like that mix of like guidance of where we're at going forward because you're dealing with with Delta has kind of created this this cross-current 
so to speak. Like, do I start discounting that would go back and completely in reverse or something in the middle? And then just kind of like a pause, you know, in between uh, completing this kind of rebalancing. You've kind of taken off this like gangbusters uh, open up mania trade, right? That's kind of clear. But then there's, there's parts of the world that have not gone through the kind of slowdown on the stay at home side because they've been like kind of lagging the US and opening up, right? So UK, I mean, like it's really hasn't started opening up till just now, right? Mid July. So continental Europe being an example, and that's kind of what like where I had favorite booking. But I mean, if you look at it now, it's right back to where I bought it, right before earnings. So, so we got like a 5% pop and it's puking it up today. I mean, and by the way, I was kind of of the view you're going to be dealing with this. So this was like it was like a a no go on buying options or calls because uh, too expensive short term and uh, things are so like things don't don't seem to hold right. Like you can buy calls, you can you can buy a stock or like a booking and it goes up seven percent in two days, and then you wake up a week later and it's giving it back. And we've seen this enough and like we just kind of went through this window just recently where i mean boeing got back down to you know 200 flat then bounced back to 240 right like you had like a 20 percent swing in, in boeing share price over two and a half weeks let me ask first your thought I, booking is a name i also own and so i i wanted i was sort of looking at it today the the valuation actually is more reasonable against 2019 than i thought it was the I, oh, I it's great i have it at like 19 times earnings or free cash flow and 15 times i i got 14 or 15 times EBITDA, but yeah it was like 13 and a half when i bought it okay so like and i've been sitting here thinking that this is a business that you know uh if you get blue skies uh and covid's over it trades to trades a little bit over 20 times well, it's it's interesting because it was I mean, because it's reopening spike that you were talking about was its all time high share price. But I think that's partly a Boeing didn't have to take on a ton of debt. And I don't think they issued shares booking booking again. Boeing sorry. Has. Yeah. But Boeing <laughs> Boeing's And I that's why I want to ask you about Boeing, because it's its own bag of can of worms. But booking didn't have to take on a lot of debt. They took on a little bit, but really low interest rate and yeah, they, i mean look this is a cash cow right so well and their multiple was like they have actually had a poor performance for the last five years or so i was you know like they had more relatively you got airbnb yeah airbnb expedia is still from everything i understand is still very much a second rate player they're trying to make changes but and they're bigger yeah, so the than the challenge, US. But... The challenge with that business is that you're you're essentially assuming that the business is going to grow, but that you're not going to see like that like the 2018 2019 is is kind of peak margins with with a more competitive environment. But there is a potential counter argument that they can actually do that and and, and still maintain those margins, and maybe the business is like 30 percent bigger. And then it's it goes to like what are you paying for like a really, I mean a ridiculously high free cash flow margin, forty percent you know even a margin business. In this environment, we've seen you know anywhere between 
like for really good internet businesses that are both profitable and at scale, you're paying between 20 and 30 times EBITDA. Of course, for most of those businesses, like they've gotten those multiples as they're delivering huge operating income growth. Right. So when you think about Google and uh, Facebook, Facebook and uh, Amazon, I mean, obviously very different businesses, but well, I mean, Google, not exactly at that drastic. Well, yeah. Google used to be the, the big threat for booking, but I, I think, you know, a lot of people made the point that booking is one of Google's like big clients. So it's kind of a codependent relationship in the travel vertical. And also I have to think that the antitrust pressure on Google is going to keep them from making any disintermediating moves in travel that are really going to harm book. You know, there's book, you know, booking has so many boutique hotels, so many hotel relationships. And it does seem like that demand aggregation, like there's certain things about travel. I own Aircap, for example, in the aircraft lessers. And you have to think that their position got stronger through all of this, not just because they're buying GE's aircraft leasing business, but also because air airlines don't want to carry that much uh, they they their balance sheets are kind of wrecked by all of this, and so they don't want to really carry as many airplanes, and so et cetera. And I get I have to think booking is going to have similar the hotel businesses. I don't know, maybe they accelerated their direct to consumer a little bit in terms of trying to get people to sign up. But I have to think people are going to be the the portals are going to have a strong position here for you know whether it's Airbnb and booking talks all the time about how many alternative accommodations they have too. So yeah, it's, it seems like they should long-term, I, I, it seems like they should be stronger than they would have been if there wasn't a pandemic long-term actually just their position in this business. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, with, with Boeing, they, the thing I, I think nobody talks about it anymore because it feels so long ago, pre-pandemic, but there was the whole 737 MAX thing and what it meant. It still is, right? I mean, they've, and they've they had some issues with the Dreamline. And they've had, I mean, that's been, it's, it's had both COVID and it's had its own specific execution issues. Like they're just getting around to potentially, uh, restarting the test flights of the max in china i mean if you think back to that name right it was like you know asia is going to be buying tons of fucking planes and uh you know secular growth story and they were entering this i mean like the stock before the two crashes had gotten up to 450 dollars right and that's where you were at early yeah i think that's uh, about the the 400s for sure yeah and it's at like half of that right now it's just like uh, a huge a huge install base and like the service cycle that would be coming your way for those planes and that they would just be minting it for the next five years and then we got the two crashes the grounding and the internal documentation and the turnover management and everything else that was going on and then that followed with covid so it's been as bad as can be useful why so like it's a name that you 
you very rarely wake up and that there's like a positive piece of news, right? Like the stock rallies and then it gets kind of sold into some sort of negative headline that this is being delayed or that's being delayed. Those cancellations from here. I mean, they managed to grow the backlog. You kind of got back to uh, positive dynamics on the order book, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's definitely it's definitely been filled with from an execution standpoint. I kind of part of the reason I've liked the stock has been this almost underlying view that I mean, like you've got this duopoly in air travel and. If people are going to start trading, you know, everything under the sun and prices, homes are skyrocketing, commodities, and then, you know, like the, the plane as an asset to me, <laughs> it essentially appreciates. And the cost of the plane, relatively speaking. You're, you're saying that because there's like a bit of a shortage dynamic here that benefits the i mean the manufacturer yeah you just like you know manufacturer like very you know a hard asset that is filled with input costs you know that will be passed on to the client and that you're essentially going to see the price go higher so like it kind of drives revenue and the bottom line and so on and so forth so I mean, I was kind of walking into like I could see it trade to, you know, my view has been around $300 and kind of stupid for not selling it. It got close to it twice, considering all the headwinds. But look, I think what we have to ask ourselves and like for people listening is like, how do you want to be allocated? And like, how do you want to play? Because there's a, there's a, we're now getting into the end of August, right? We're mid August. And you know, we had this conversation before and I've been saying, I don't want to be at a risk or you want to be really dialed down on risk by the end of the summer. The summer is like this summer has kind of gone as I expected. I mean, I haven't been playing it or been active like from a trading standpoint. But if I had been, you know, and wasn't, you know, traveling around a bit like this is what you kind of expected. It's kind of set up as like, hey, get long risk. And you have this like it's kind of summer rally and you you kind of lull yourself into some complacency. And then like, I mean, I just tweeted about this earlier today. I was like, the market has kind of got a no bueno <laughs> very sneakily, very quickly. No one's clubbed you over the head with like some bad news, right? I mean, for the most part, like take a take a stock like Roku is a perfect example. I mean, it's like a stock that went from 330 to 480 almost essentially back to 330 in the last three months, right? I mean, where is it today? 340 something. And like, if you're a person who, who bought it, went up, when do you sell, sorry, back down, uh, and you take this whole like, you know, long-term narrative and you see multiple erosion. And like part of the question to ask here is like how much of this is kind of like waning stimulus, right? The market has, if you're in a market that's that's been highly stimulus dependent, because the other thing that we have going on in this market is like that whole SPAC IPO land is has been horrible, right? Yeah. Like, it's a I mean, as the S&P and NASDAQ have been making new highs, like, I mean, you've got names that are, you know, like they just dropped 70, 80%. And, uh, and you know, they call them, 
shit codes or whatever you want to call them, but like everything from a, an actual shit co to, uh, you know, a speculative SPAC to, you know, a company that typically would not have been public. We'll call that as a category, like an early stage venture business that's getting a valuation uh, in the public markets that was on paper in the private markets. Right. And, and, and not, uh, you know, what do you want to call it? Not monetizable. In the same environment that people are, you know, getting excited about things like Axie Infinity and blockchain game. Yeah, in, in still an environment where I read an article this weekend in a Detroit newspaper about, you know, which was probably in the USA Today network about, crypt, you know, day traders, you know, this the same story we've been talking about, day traders who are, don't want to work, they want to just day trade because they think yeah, they... Yeah, and that's, I mean, like, that's happened, I mean, there's, like... You know, I was joking with someone about like Albania in 1996. The whole economy got involved in, in uh, pyramid schemes. You know, it's like a famous, famous pyramid scheme uh, tale. And like, it, part of this market, I mean, particularly if you spend time looking at things like Axie Infinity, and just like being like, look, this is kind of a no-brainer that people enter a game, they buy, they buy something expecting to earn a yield these are yield driven games and that yield is only coming from new players coming into the game right like if you're if you're playing to earn the game uh and the onboarding mechanism of it is set up in a way that you get paid by demand to create new axes and and that, that demand is based on new players joining and then you start running the math. Like this is a game that's gone from like 30,000 to, to a million players in three months, right? And you're just like, the game has to add as many players each month as existed in the previous month, right? The minute that tips over, you know, yields will start falling and go negative. And you've actually seen that, by the way, in three weeks. Like, in, like the math on like reading these things has gone from like, you make 50% uh, monthly yield like now it's like negative five percent right so like you have there's like you have a world where people are, are doing that and then like I, I would assume that people who've been day trading uh just based on like what i see in this case the last couple months like you had some of these uh notable fintwit like let's call them spack bulls being like hey back management like some of the sec needs to get involved they're not complaining right <laughs> Yes. Like we want, we want, we want to claw back their gains. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like I think, like here we are in this kind of this interesting moment in time where you have less stimulus, right, than you've had for this market uh, since COVID started. You kind of have this this pause in economic activity. Right, that had kind of been turbocharged from around travel and and consumption, like this pent up demand uh, that had been thwarted by, uh, well, I mean that had been not necessarily thwarted, that had been created by COVID, and that kind of was unleashed in let's call it a Q two, right, and that's kind of that 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 that's hit kind of a momentum wall, and it's hit a momentum wall just as. Uh, Stimulus is dying, right? And you, like you've got, I mean, like you know, I was seeing Kathy Wood from Arc tweeting about, you know, the, the fall in lumber and 
full back in in housing. Like she's she's very very focused on a macro argument that there is no inflation because that's kind of been the sweet spot for the stuff she buys, right? Low rates, uh, kind of terminal value discounted cash flow models where there's where there's no real cash flow in the businesses and you're just valuing them on on out on the out year, right? Uh, and everything is just chasing top line growth, right? So, but you could counter that, like if you're if you're if you're if you're actually really excited about those types of names, this kind of environment is is equally challenging because you have no stimulus. I mean, by nature, stimulus can't be perpetual, right? So if you have a huge burst of it, it's measured against what you had before, right? So like you've seen things like we're going to delay the student housing, uh, not student housing, the student loans uh, repayment uh, holiday till January. But like, I mean, I've seen different states on, on the eviction thing, but have let them expire. You know, there's the CDC is providing some sort of, what was it? Was it them or on um, for the federal level on the eviction mandate? Like it's been like kind of unclear there. Like you're not right. you're not yeah, exactly getting it's messy you're, not, you're not exactly getting the you're not exactly getting the exemption. Republicans want to end it, right? So politically, the Republicans have kind of hemmed in on uh, putting an end to this. Uh, let's call it the nanny state of COVID, right? So they 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 don't want any more uh, unemployment checks. Uh, and that's stopped in a lot of those states and they don't want any more election holidays. Like they kind of, uh, they kind of want the economy to, to kind of get back to where it was before. And like, this was, this was kind of that headwind we were talking about for general for the market, right. With, with in the beginning of summer, I was like, I don't want to be out of this market, like, uh, by fall, which means you want to be out of this market from a risk standpoint by like early August. And if you if you had actually gotten out by like the end of July, you're you were in good shape, right? I mean, there are there are some there are some names where like, you know, if they if they really underperformed relative to everything else, you, you've done better. Uh, I mean, we cited a recent example being Atlassian, uh, and like you've seen you've seen like if you've been a diligent stock picker, like I think you've been able to navigate this, but like. If you were kind of risk on in the, in the speculative stuff, you've been massacred, right? Like if you were, if you were buying the aggressive SPACs of the world, right? And these trades that kind of like you know, the was up 30, 40%, then like somehow before you know it, it drops a little bit. But, and then you're like, how did I, how did I lose 50% in this, right? Uh, and like, you know, slowly at first and then very quickly. Right. <laughs> so I mean, like you... It is interesting because the S&P is still like it's still sort of under the surface of the S&P is still pretty close to I, it must have set an all time high last week. The Russell, though, as just a small cap indicator, and they now have AMC in there, which kind of throws and GME, I think, which throws things off. But it's basically flat since the beginning of February, like it had a first a rally at the beginning of the year, part of that reopening, and then it's kind of bounced around. And so, yeah, there's like. There's definitely churn looking for whatever the next market stage is. And there's you you're talking about stimulus. Of course, the federal government has 
their budgetary plans and the infrastructure plan, but it doesn't seem like that's there's still some stuff to be worked out, but at least among the Democratic caucus over what they want to do. And so it's not like it's that's not a sure thing how that turns out either. And so, yeah, there's definitely still. So we had this conversation where we said that, like, this the whole like, should the Fed tighten and should it should it force like, some sort of cleansing in the market? And that by the time they get around to actually thinking that they're going to do that, like the market will have already uh, started started to price a mechanism in like that. And they'll say, there's no need for us to do it. Right. And like, you're kind of like kind of seeing that already. Right. You've lost the momentum. I don't think anyone right now uh, is talking about inflation. Yeah. The numbers are still there. I mean, they're still working, right? Like the 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 reports haven't haven't pulled that we haven't cleared whatever the transitory bump is that they're talking about yet and probably won't for a while right you haven't cleared it but this kind of uh this this slowdown in in asset prices right has kind of created this setup where it's no longer you know top of mind and that's like you're entering this fall period now where like you know, markets have typically been more volatile, let's call them in September, October, right? There's always that summer doldrum dynamics. I'm like, you're, 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 you've, it's going back to like, yes, Amazon, Google, uh, Facebook have been great. And when, when they're great uh, or, or stable and Apple, et cetera, Nobody's actually complaining about like, you know, uh, whatever SPAC is blowing up. I mean, I was looking at it, I think something like 65% of all IPOs in the last 12 months are either are within plus 10% or down, right, of the actual uh, uh, offering price. So... I mean, going back to the whole uh, IPO uh, pricing, IPOs pop and whatever, but like if you bought every single IPO, uh, 65% of them are are either plus or minus, sorry, plus 10% max all the way down to, you know, some are down, whatever you want to call it, 70%, whatever. Of course, there's a bunch of IPOs that are still up a few hundred percent, but to just look at the like whether or not the they were getting the price really wrong and like there's there's a ton of supply that came into the market right so when you think about you know nearly 500 IPOs in a year plus all the SPACs I don't know probably like I don't know 150 of them or whatever it is uh, that's a, that's a lot to digest right. I mean, I was joking about how many names there are on the earnings calendar now that I've never heard of, or like, sorry, more like I've heard of in passing recently because they just listed, but I've like, I have not ever reviewed their financial statements. Yeah, no, it it used to be like, it surprises you. Well, pre-COVID, I could look at the weekly calendar when earnings season started and like seven out of 10 names I've at some point gone through their financials 
I'm familiar with the business. Then like the three out of ten that I that I had in, like two out of ten I know them. Right. Now I look at the list and it's like like half the names I, I'm like I, I don't I've like I've heard this name, but I've never looked at it. And I can't speak to all of them, you know, like there's been so many names that have that have gone public and you're just like I don't even know how to evaluate them because I haven't really looked at the business in detail. Like I know what they do, but like I haven't had the time. And like that's when you're creating supply at this rate. Like it's very hard uh, to, to go through things individually. And like part of the you know solution in that is kind of stick to what you know, right? And like try to try to stay in your uh, stay in your lane. The old circle competence, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like Twitter, you know, for example, uh, after the Pinterest blow up, I've been kind of holding on better. And today I see Snapchat's down 6%, and you're just like, this was kind of, here we go again, right? Like, you should have just taken the cue that if Pinterest was going to fall, it would eventually, if Pinterest is going to trade down to 13 times, you know, this year's sales, uh, it's going to find its way to the rest of the names, right? It's just that it's that, it's that whole thing of like, look, my company didn't report this type of news, but then like three weeks later, it's like, well, it's macro, right? All these names are being re-rated. Well, and it's, the, yeah, or, yeah, macro or it's, yeah, sector shift or whatever, yeah. Yeah, it's like you got, got a bunch of names that are reported, like whatever, like nearly 100% top line growth in the quarter, right? And I'm, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about random speculative names. Like, uh, everybody in the ad space had, you know, the best year over year quarter they're probably ever going to have again. So nobody wants to sit there and think about that. I and mean, we had conversations about this, but it's like, I mean, yeah, it was a combination of bad, like, you know, bad COVID dynamics. Uh, last year this time and uh, the snapback that you've had pricing wise and the uh, the scale effects you get when when you grow businesses like that in a short time period right and you're not going to see those numbers again unless like you're going to have something that completely devastates the space and then they rebound immediately right so that's kind of like your high watermark you're not going to see Google reporting 50%, you know, revenue growth year over year. So like, well, how does that change how you value these businesses? And do we like, do we find ourselves in, uh, in some sort of economic malaise? And this goes back to like un unproductive behavior of people just sitting around uh, doing the, like, you know, pure financialization slash trading. Right. I mean, crypto's had a bit of a comeback recently and I don't know how many people wondered about like how like that factors into the stock market like relationship because almost everything that people are buying in crypto seems to be like there's a combination of the speculation play, which is like the stock market, right? If you buy you buy a coin to try to to try to get the the returns that like you would make as a compounder in a decade in a year, right? In a stock. And then there's like in this other part, which is like, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm going to be in this space to yield, right? Like I'll buy this coin because 
there's this DeFi protocol and I'm earning this type of yield and like, I can't get that in a bank. <laughs> and, but it's actually turns out to be a function of this kind of pyramid dynamic where like you need to get somebody else to buy it and, and so on and so forth. You could say that that was the whole banking system before, but not exactly, right? Like they took your deposits, they lent them out, right? Fractional reserve banking, uh, creating credit, so on and so forth, regulated entities. Like it was, it wasn't really the wild west as we've seen uh, in 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 DeFi over the last year, mm -hmm. which is a feature, not a bug of DeFi, as I understand it. It's, yeah, it's meant to be not unregulated and free. Yeah, which makes no sense because a lot of these things, like it gets back to like, you're going to get to that point where it's like, Hey, if you're going to put your savings into it uh, and it's unregulated and free, something tends to go wrong. Like I always just look, I mean, just like at looking at these blockchain games, there's, they're not in the same dynamic of like an operator coming up to you and say, I'm going to pay you 30%. Who knows he can't pay you 30%, right? Unless he secures uh, more deposits. And he's essentially paying you out of them, but because they have like a floating rate mechanism, but every single person approaches that floating rate mechanism and like looks at like when they say, Hey, I, you know, this is the reason I'm going to put my investing dollars in here. They do the math based on the yield of the day they invest. Right. But then like, if people leave the pyramid, right. That yield collapses in the same way. Uh, your yield would be like, you lose your money right if somebody starts to ask to withdraw their money from the ponzi scheme you don't want to be the last person right because they're, they're they get completely screwed and these coins that are listed are kind of doing the same dynamic but anyway this is off topic travel well but, yeah uh, because the question is where the tie is to either the stock market liquidity or or maybe just what your yeah. Is there, you, you sort of hinted at that. Do you see, are you seeing any sort of specific ways to read through to the market or is it more the speculation? Well, so I would, I would look at them and say that like, if you have an increasing amount of these things, they blow up, right? Like the, like a game like Axie needs to get, you know, the equivalent of the world's population that has internet access, you know, in the next 11 months. Right. Like that's how it works. If it continues, like otherwise, the minute that you have a month and they just had one right now, it's happening, right? Where you're not adding new players equal to uh, the existing universe on a rolling basis. And because you made like the ability to claim your yield is delayed on essentially a four week basis. If you're a sponsored player or you borrow to enter the game, uh, it, it blows up the returns, right? And you, you, when you look at something like that, like, and then you say, oh, I'm, you're earning 50% here. Like, well, this is going to collapse immediately unless by the end of the year, the whole plan is playing the game, right? Like you could put $20,000 in and be as wealthy as Jeff Bezos, you know, with the compounding and reinvesting, you know, in three years. That's so just, I mean, like, you don't have common sense tells you you can't do that unless like, you're sucking money out of someone else's pocket, right? Uh, and that's that's the whole nature of the, of the pyramid scheme and to a degree there's like an MLM element but what I'm looking at it it's like you have SPACs that are blown up and like if you if you were to have these things things like this type of behavior start blowing up like what do you ultimately get 
when, when that all happens, you get regulations, right? You have a lower risk appetite and that leads to lower valuation, right? All of a sudden the speculation, uh, the, the risk on tolerance decreases notably. And this is kind of the macro thing we're dealing with right now, right? Like it's like you're, you're kind of entering this window where like, all right, like this is kind of happening against the backdrop where I want to play COVID ending completely. And we don't go through a new wave of COVID in the winter. And everybody, you know, for the holiday, for Thanksgiving and Christmas, everyone travels. If you think that's the case, like you kind of, like I want to be buying, you know, a booking or a Boeing today. Well, and I guess that's the, that's sort of, unless the incremental information and the incremental news flow may not have gone as fast as people wanted, but at this point you would need it to really trend towards either permanent impairment of travel or significant impingement on travel in the coming months or else it just, you know, like. Southwest warning, I think, got some people and it's possible there are more cancellations. And I think booking made reference to more late decisions, like more short term bookings rather than long term plans, which, you know, is not I think I think the travel industry would like longer term planning. But I th yeah, I think the inter incremental news flow here is probably towards. Whatever unless you're super bearish on how COVID plays out. Uh... I'm not. And I, I actually think it's, it's like and politically for, from like this level of discourse is kind of irritating because you're like these states that are now like people are, are lecturing them and saying, look what happened in Florida. Like but that's going to subside. I don't know whether you can sit there and say like COVID has just run its course and the general will be like, see, we made it through. Right. And it didn't matter whether we not we got vaccinated or not. And what will humanity, at least in the United States, have learned from all of this? I have no idea. Right. But I think that I think that's a possibility that uh, that you don't even need to have the vaccination levels get up to where we're at, where we are in the UK. Right. Uh, for it uh, to not be endemic. You, you got to consider that like it could just this wave could be the last wave of it, right? That it doesn't mutate enough uh, to, to give you another round. But even if it doesn't, like this wave has caused enough of an uptake on vaccination. And you have this example in the UK uh, where you're going to get close enough that either this time or definitely within the next three months, like you're going to you're going to be more than likely done with it. Right. Where I think that the challenge is with the stock market is that you, are we are we in a risk off period right now where the, the lack where the sorry I'm not even saying the lack waning of stimulus right trumps all that for stock prices stocks to have this like you know wild way of like we're sitting here and talked about eight trillion and all this and da, 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 there's like names trading you know below levels from pre COVID. Right. I mean, and some of them would, you know, like not necessarily like they have their issues, but like you would not expect them to go to these levels. And that, that's kind of like the weird thing about stimulus is like, you know, it can create this period where things can trade extremely elevated 
right? And then when it wanes, you get that hangover, right? Which causes you to course correct in another direction. You overshoot, right? So you see prices where you're like, fuck. Like, I was like, like I didn't think there'd be any chance I'd get to buy this at, uh, you know, 2019 prices, right? And I mean, and that's where you get like a little skittish once they come down and that causes people to wait and then some people to sell, right? And then that kind of sets up the, the dynamic for, you know, the next nice, next nice buying opportunity. So like, let's say, like, I'm very confident that we're going to be looking at this environment, you know, in let's call it by, by year end, that is very uh, post-COVID-ish. I could be completely wrong, by the way. So I wouldn't say that you're very confident, but like, that's just what, you know, I've been doing a ton of reading on the stuff and I'm just following the data. And like, that's like, I I don't have anything or any information advantage beyond that. It just seems to be what, you know, I'm digesting what exists. And we we went through this earlier in the year. And I I like that setup, right? So I'm less worried necessarily about this the scenario where like it gets worse and you're talking about lockdowns and people are are staying at home again notably i've completely discounted that out what i can't discount out is that you know maybe the stock market uh behaves the way it's behaving right now but maybe a little bit worse uh because as this is occurring we have this you know macro macro dynamic which kind of brings you up to the next fed meeting and if like you're if you're kind of hung over going into it right you'll get communication out of them that's like yeah there's no way we're we're doing any tightening anytime soon <laughs> right that'll that's... just that'll just that'll, that, that'll become a given right and this is the conversation we were having you know a couple months ago because like you you you'll, you you have the Kathy Woods of the world who will cite the, the price of lumber and these other things, and just be like, we're going to have low rates. Buy, buy, buy the stuff I hold again. And, and I mean, look, that, that thinking has worked. So, and like not to throw, uh, like if you look at these businesses that are essentially rewarded at, at running cash flow break even, like, I mean, if you sit with Captain Twilio, he's 100% in that camp. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, if you've just been long Twilio, right, for several years, that's like nobody can sit here and tell you that that didn't work, right? You can sit there and look at it, but yeah, but this, these businesses don't grow with and, and demonstrate, you know, the profitability of the businesses that you think you're like that, the businesses that you're using as your reference point for compound, right? I mean, somebody actually took, uh, you know, when I had that, that Facebook uh, 50X sales multiple and what that would have done to your performance, someone actually posted on Twitter yesterday. Uh, a bunch of you know favorite names and what would have happened to you if, like if you bought them at fifty times sales at the start, right? Like your your CAGR, and it's it's pretty stunning how low your returns come down to. So, and those and like a lot of those names that you were looking at them it was like Nvidia, it was like Google, it was like Facebook. They've grown with extreme profitability, right? What about all these names that are just delivering top line growth and you know, non-GAAP, non-existent uh, uh, operating income. 
with this view that like that's how you got to run these businesses right now right and uh over the long haul you want to own them here and then as soon as they start reporting uh profitability you know the one day along the lines the multiple collapses right and that's how you end up with that kind of that long-term returns that like are what they are and will we'll comparably look similar to, you know, the names that preceded them. Yeah, I think, I think it's a good reminder that there's all, as much as we want to escape having to balance these dynamics, like the different, the governmental, the health and everything else, it's still, still a calculus. And that's, and that's where, yeah, travel Travel has certain positives for it that kind of you can key in on without worrying about you don't have to worry about huge multiples and you don't have to worry about again, there's you can have a differing view, I guess, on the state of the world COVID wise, but it seems like in the long term, there's a decent outlook for it. And so if you can hold through to that it should hope hopefully it'll i mean i'm i'm pretty exposed we we've i think we've only mentioned about half of my not even half of my travel stocks so uh i'm hopeful that we do continue to see an uptick and i've been buying travel a decent amount this year so i guess we'll see where it goes it's an interesting exercise because like you've been forced to to swing, you know, from one end of the pendulum to another. Like, it's very hard to, to not condition you like, hey, you just need to kind of own these things. You want to have like a balanced exposure to the economy when you go through these like phases where, you know, a certain percentage of it got completely shut down, right? <laughs> so, I mean, from a trader mindset, it's like, I mean, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I swap out, you know, Boeing with Zoom completely, 100%, right? And I'll come back to it once I know this is over, right? And like, it's the volatility that got that gets created in in that dynamic is it can like you know it's a roller coaster and uh, it can really mess it can really mess with uh, anybody trying to run kind of a long term book right like you got to have a trader's mindset and I mean to a degree that's kind of like what we're doing when you're talking about stuff you know on a weekly basis right like you you have content needs to be pertinent and you kind of want to ascertain like where certain things are going in a certain window i think that well, as we were discussing with booking like i mean and, and you know most of these names that i focused on whether it's pager duty or, or workday or twitter right like they've been they've been high margin of safety i.e you know evaluation discounted relative to the the extreme momentum stuff and because the extreme momentum stuff is it can lull you into these periods where like you know you don't sell and then like they have these 50 you know percent drawdowns although it turns out a lot of these these other names have, have had that as well so it's, you've almost been you've almost been rewarded by i mean if you if you have the ability you know to stick to the darlings like take a fastly right i mean or an alterics 
you know, there's always a, there's always a growth name that, that enters the, the uh, uh, you know, the dumpster, right. That was a darling. And it just like, it happens, you know, with one little piece of bad news. And then it kind of like, there's another one. And then before you know it, you're like, what the hell just happened? And it's very hard. Like once you get committed to one of those, right. To not want to buy the dip because you were buying the dips and it was working very well. Meanwhile, when you're in these names that are, that have valuation support, right? Like it becomes very hard to sell them because like you, you've, you've seen them not trade to the levels that other names have, have been able to trade to with, in some cases, commiserate growth, right? So you, that's when you start asking like, well, I mean, why is this ad business at, you know, $5 billion not being priced like that ad business, you know, with a $2 billion run rate, right? Yes, that's one has been going a little faster recently, but I like this for this reason and that for those reasons. And uh, I think that, that, I mean, all things being equal, that I should at least be getting a premium and somehow you're ending up like, it shouldn't be a huge premium, but why am I getting a discount, right? And I think that's been the challenge in, uh, in the sectors that people have been very happy with, but I'd say are like things like software, uh, online advertising, uh, e-commerce, right? You get the, you're kind of doing like these, these compares and trying to ferret that out. Uh, travel, I mean, it's, it's not that, it's not been that challenging, right? You're like, you know, where do we get back to 2019 and when are we, when are we bigger than 2019? And then what am I going to assign multiple wise to that? And by the time I get there, like has have multiples in, in, in the whole broader market slow down. And to a degree, a lot of what's happening today, someone was, 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 was on Twitter making fun of, uh, there was like a warning from Home Depot in, in 2000. And they blamed like, tough y2k comps right where they're just like we got a huge boost from this hurricane and y2k and you know like how ridiculous is that it's like well actually it turned out that there was a lot of people you know hitting up walmart and home depot ahead of y2k right (laughs) hunkering down essentially yeah so they got they they got a spike right and uh that that translated into uh a hangover and like there was like you know the debates about the names like you know this company has had the best growth ever for the last 10 years <laughs> can it continue right i mean that was 20 years ago i mean obviously home depot has continued but by the time you went through that like you had you, you hit a pocket and that pocket turned into an economic slowdown right and that little y2k hangover lasted like it turned roughly two years and risk went off and the way people started investing, like I was going through Potash's earnings last week, right? I mean, haven't looked at those in ages. And it was just like, all right, I mean, those are really impressive numbers. Like, is this, uh, could we potentially go through another cycle where you rotate away from, uh, 
from from big tech. I mean, it's possible. And I think that's another thing with this market right now is, is that like big tech has done so well, right? That like as there's these detonations going on, you're kind of complacent about it because you know Facebook hasn't dropped twenty percent from its high, or you know Apple's not back down to like you know one fifteen because that seems to like I mean if you were to look at this market right now, uh, you made no money in uh, in essentially the open up and. Like if you had a, a balanced portfolio of like the growth stuff, like let's call it a basket of the growth stuff, not even a balanced portfolio because it's, it's really contradiction in terms. But uh, you, you're, you're, you're probably also at a wash, right? So essentially you had to be, uh, you had to be in like the Facebook, Google, Microsoft, uh, uh, Apple vortex because even Amazon really hasn't, hasn't really done that much. So if you were in those names, and let's call it a handful of the software names, like let's call it value software, okay? Your boxes and drop boxes and uh, uh, oracles and stuff like that that had not been popular and had a really, really, really low multiples to the point where we'd have this conversation of, you know, is it like, why is this not being treated as subscription revenue? Uh, and it's like, if you're growing 10%, you, you could trade down to two times sales. And now it's turned out if you're growing 10%, you know, you can trade at four times sales. Yeah, that's, that's a low end. Yeah, and like who was buying those stocks? Like, I mean, what, what group of people were recommending those names? They have not been recommending those names because the, those have essentially been what people have been short, uh, who have been long the stuff that has done exceptionally well. Yeah, you had to get to weirdos like me who own Dropbox to find the the value, the old value holdouts. The only yeah, Dropbox, Zora, uh, Teradata, Cloudera, like those names, and then. You know, the blue chip, uh, I mean, you know, they've been doing well, Oracle, Cisco, right? Like, you, had, you hadn't seen much along those lines. Also, I mean, recently, so like last week, I mean, Micron has really dropped recently. Like, I, you know, looking at the semiconductor space, there, you know, people are talking about a DRAM correction again. And the minute you start to see that, like the semiconductor space has had this, you know, where demand is going to exceed supply, you know, well into next year type of narrative and then all of a sudden you got to note out that like yeah it's actually DRAM prices are going to start to fall and before you know it like you know microns pulled back 25 percent yeah that's a real yeah it's a really sensitive name to that sort of thing yeah but it's always a leading indicator by the way like yeah. when that happened it did i mean it moved a little bit the semi the semi cap space but not like people are selling AMD, which has just had a nice run, or 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 uh, or Nvidia, right? So you like you if if you're sitting there, like again, this goes back to like you know you you didn't sell Snapchat and Twitter after Pinterest, right? And then four weeks later, like 
they're notably lower. Yep. Because you saw Snapchat pop the way it did, and pinch, uh, you know, both of them didn't didn't have anything to say metrics wise. Uh, that got the same headline reaction that uh, that a Pinterest got. Anyway, we're all we're all over the place. Yeah. But suffice to say, I think the the key takeaways here are, from a risk reward standpoint, if you're if you're inclined to position, you know, for year end, like I would be buyer travel related names, and I would be doing it within the context of knowing that I'm facing macro headwinds. Like just overall from uh, from a stock market standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think if you have a time frame that's willing to ride out the Delta uncertainty and the concerns, all the COVID concerns we mentioned, travel is still... I think I think what's important from Q2 is that we've got a clear enough indication that if there isn't all clear, travel will be fine. And in the interim, the names that have enough to get by that like aren't, you know, at risk of any liquidity if something really bad happens, that's a pretty decent the the pricing is still there where the risk reward is pretty decent. So Yeah, and if the market finds some some momentum. From a stimulus narrative, I think they're they're going to be beneficiaries. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If if the macro turns around, they should be well positioned. All right. Let's let's wrap it there. Good stuff. I'm uh I love talking these names and it'd be fun to see how they play out. All righty then. Thank you for listening to the Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by SoCal. Thank you for listening and see you next week.